Good to see you, my friend. It's really good to see you. Today we have Tori Deal. What's the deal with Tori Deal? That's what I want. That's what I want to know. You know, I when I think about you, the show's called Multi Hyphenate, and it's like, is there more of a multi hyphenate I know than you? You're an author, a musician, a host, a reality star, uh, now a challenge champion, a social media professional in the sense that like you know how to be on social media professionally and you have merch like it's really endless and so i want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day to connect with me here and maybe uh help some people along the way on our conversational path oh yeah. yeah thanks sean obviously like it's a pleasure to be here like it's so good to see your face right now and <laughs> even though we're a country apart to connect with you over this kind of topic is exciting. So I'm happy to be here and thanks for holding the space to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's been fascinating to me is everybody sort of has a story with their professional name. And I know from our, mm. our past that your last name has changed. So if we could start there. Yes. Because, uh, you know, for example, my friend Jessica Kemajuk, she was Jessica Blythe at a certain point to sort of whitewash her name so it was easier for casting. And, you know, 10 years ago, that was the thing. Like, don't make people work hard at pronunciation. So I was curious yeah. what your journey was yeah. on that, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah. No, I would love to. Yeah. So my last name is still Deal, but it's correctly spelled d-e-h-e-l and we believe it's hungarian um mm. i'm like just a mix of european countries so we're not sure exactly but we're pretty sure it's hungarian <laughs> and um just growing up in school all the teachers called me to hell they're like victoria to hell victoria to hell and i was like all right that, that's gonna go and literally before i even got into anything publicly I changed my name on Facebook in college to Tori oh, D-A-L. Wow. I knew I wanted to get it. Yeah, this was before I even got into anything public. I knew I wanted to be on TV in the sense that I went to school for broadcast marketing or broadcast journalism. So I wanted to already have this television presence and uh, I changed it then. And mm. thankfully I did because now it's carried over into you know being tory deal seven years on the challenge and it's really helped with my podcast because it's called tory dealing with um yeah. but yeah it definitely made it easier for people to pronounce i didn't want to be tory to hell <laughs> yeah what the hell man uh so <laughs> i know i have crampton i would get like crapton uh cramp a ton you know i'm just like okay okay i could i could take it though uh, all right. So you're from <laughs> Jersey. So you want to tell me a little bit about your exper experience growing up there? Uh, what was your relationship to Jersey growing up? And then how'd you find art in New Jersey for yourself? Like, how did it speak to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, um, so grew up in New Jersey, lived with my dad from the point of nine years old until I was 18 and moved out. And 
I loved New Jersey and the school I went to. It was a public school. It was super diverse. I got to meet a lot of different kinds of people, a lot of cultures, which was really cool. And I think that helped me to expand my mind and prepare me for New York, which is where I went after that. But my connection with art really started like along the same time that my parents' divorce happened. Like they say, Mm. what's bad for your heart is good for your art. And I remember opening an old box of like stuff I saved from my old room and it was like old, really sad poems. And I was like, wow, like I must have been going through it as a kid. Yeah. So it started out as poetry. And then when I got up to New York, I was like, I want to rap. And Mm. uh, that transformed back into writing, which is inevitably what got me at my kids book. So it's really been the same craft kind of showing up in different areas. Oh, I love that. And I, oh my God, you rapped like the balls, I rapped. the balls on somebody or the ovaries to rap is, <laughs> to me is like incredible because it's, that's so scary to speak publicly. And then you're trying to rhyme, tell a story and be musically gifted and entertaining. It's yeah. really, it speaks to who you are. Cause I think you're a really brave artist you're somebody who puts yourself out there. And so how long were you in the rap uh, like phase of your art and how, what was your experience of it? Did you feel like you were accepted? Was it kind of like, Oh, I'm learning some things I don't like here. You know, tell me about a little bit about that. So fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely helpful in terms of me finding my identity because I think I adopted rap as a way to connect with what I believed was helping me get through a hard time. Like I listened to rap music all the time. When I was in college, I was still suffering from depression and I was like, you know, running crazy amount of miles at the gym. And like, I really connected with rap in that way. And because I was pretty good at freestyling and because I really liked to write, I was just like, all right, like, I'm just going to actually try to do it. But Uh, I just, you know, I've had so many awkward performances where Mm -hmm. I would be in front of a group of people and like, no, no one would be vibing with me. And like, I think that was like good for self-reflection. I was like, okay, I'm not being perceived the way I want to be perceived. So maybe this isn't the right lane for me. Mm. And I kind of just shut it off abruptly. Once, once I got on Are You The One and I put out like my first rap music video and I saw the response from everybody and I was like, wait a minute, like if I'm not getting the, the right response, I'm not necessarily going to stop my craft and my form of expression, but I definitely want to change how I'm expressing it because I want mm. people to connect with me. That's the point. So yeah, there were some awkward performances in there. <laughs> yeah, that'll happen. I mean, fuck, I've done improv to zero people before, like one person in the audience, and you're like, wow, it's just a comedy chasm, and uh, it can be it's really just... tough. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it can yeah. be really challenging. So you come from rap. Tell me how you got onto the show. You are the one. Are you the one? Yeah. Are you the one? Are you the one? So Tell me about I, that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So I was living with my roommates at the time. And one of the girls that I was living with loved the show. And at that point, like my life literally was wake up in the morning, go to school and then immediately go to the club and work at night. So I was working in nightlife and like, I had no time for any entertainment. 
But she would watch Are You the One? And she was like, listen, you should apply to get on it. And if you apply to get on it, then maybe they'll pick you to go on the challenge because they're taking people from Are You the One? And at that point in time to get on Are You the One, all you had to do was fill out an application. So I was like, all right, like I watched one episode. I was like, I could get down with this. Like there's strategy involved. It looks fun. There's a mansion, some hot people. I'm down. So I got on and then sure enough, like got asked to do the next season of the challenge. And then the next, it was kind of history from there. And I've just been riding that wave ever since. Wow. Wow. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize it was like a, you knew before even the first show that you wanted to do the challenge. That's awesome. And speaking of MTV's The Challenge, it's like they're one of their longest, if not their longest running program. It might be the longest running uh, like challenge reality show ever, like outpacing Survivor mm-hmm. even. And you're a champion, not only you're the current champion, right? Like I know you guys yeah. run a bunch mm-hmm. of shows. So congrats on that. What in your now hefty experience is the art form of the challenge? Like what is the craft Mm -hmm. of making it through that show? Um, Whether it's mental health or physical preparation, like what is the craft there? Right. So like the craft of getting a callback is very different than the craft of surviving and having a successful mental season, right? Mm. Like they're two totally different things. Cause I could go on there and if I want to make sure that I get a callback, like all I got to do is flip some tables and blow up. Right. <laughs> but if I want to keep my peace and understand that whatever I do on the show is going to come back and attack me on social media later, then there has to be a fine balance of like, how can I still be entertaining without putting myself through so much drama on social media later? And so I think finding that balance is the most essential thing because it helps you to stay in the game for as long as you can without getting either canceled or, you know, having to just, you just don't get a call back as well as uh, keeps your mental health in check. So it's definitely finding that balance and it's, taken me up until this very moment to figure it out (laughs) yeah dude i can't imagine you know i'm friends with jordan and uh seeing him and that's more for the audience obviously you know that but uh seeing him come back sometimes like literally just like depleted for two three weeks four weeks just like shell shock and he's like oh we all I know is the challenge, you know, like a Manchurian candidate almost. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Oh my God, like how, what do you give up when you go there? So was there a certain season where you're like, if I do this again, something's got to change. Was there a certain moment or has it just been sort of a buildup of moments? And now you're in the place you're at. Yeah. Well, I think every season you go on, you learn something new about yourself and there was definitely after Jordan and I broke up and the response I got on social media was pretty negative I knew that like my mental health at that point had to be priority or else I wasn't going to be able to even show up anymore Mm. so I hit a point where I was like okay like I've put a lot of time into this I'm not a champion yet that's one of my goals now in life because I've come so close so like how can I fortify myself to make sure that I can achieve that showing up still, even though I know I'm not going to get a positive response. And 
that's definitely what made me turn to going on antidepressants. And mm. funny enough, this last season was the first season I was taking antidepressants and that's the season that I won. So I definitely wow. think there's a correlation between strong mental health and being a champ. Mm. That makes sense. If you look at the list of champions, they're usually regarded as mentally tough and strong people. So that's always been fascinating to me. And so I know you're a huge mental health advocate and you do a ton of your own work. So I wanted to ask, like, how does, when you talk about depression, how does that show up for you? Because the way it shows up for me, like, what does it look like tactile wise? Because I realize I talk to people and it's like, it's ethereal, right? Like they hear the word depression, but how does it show up? So for me, I'll be face down on the floor, like can't even text somebody for help because I'm so weighted by the blanket of agony, I guess, you know, and I don't want to move. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to even hear a voice edginess, uh, quick to react. So that's how it shows up for me. Do you have markers for yourself where you're like, oh, I'm starting to go down to this place. Uh, maybe I can implement some of my tools. Yeah, it definitely happens and it shows up in a very similar way. Um, I definitely think that before I got on the medication, it was just living underneath the surface at all times. And like at any point in time, one little thing could drop me. Like I would step into a puddle and then fall into the pool of mm. just like a lot of feelings. And it's, to a point where it was debilitating and just not being able to leave, stopping my podcast, only doing the things that I like physically had to do, wasn't able to mm. really work and create new projects, felt like, you know, kind of worthless in a way, almost like, what is the point of, what is the point of this whole thing? Like, I can't, mm. I can't figure out how to exist in it comfortably. So it, it was a lot of like really heavy feelings and, and like, just, yeah, not being able to wrap my head around just being here. And now I still have moments where it kicks in, but I, it's definitely not as bad as it was. And I'm so much more aware of it now that when those days come, I just completely reschedule the day. Mm. Like I will move. I will everything I can. Like if there are things that I have to do and I've committed to, I will show up if I can. And then everything else in between, it's just, it's moved. And I take it off because now my mental health is the priority. And I've gotten better at just like allowing my schedule to open up when I need it to. I absolutely love that. That is taking action towards self-love, which ultimately you're doing everybody you made plans with a favor anyways. Like right. I... Yeah, I want to show up my full self. And also I used to think self-sabotage showed up in like an explosive event. Like I went into that meeting and I was like, fuck you. So I used to think I've never self-sabotaged, right? But I realized my yeah. self-sabotage is I show up like edgy instead of warm. And all of a sudden this ripple effect, the meeting goes left instead of right where it might've been like this amazing promise of life here, but instead I already shut it down just by showing up 
with edge or whatever I was coming with that I didn't take care of before I walked in. And it sounds like you've got some really good tools for yourself. You know, like it's, it's great to have the tools at the same time, having the tools doesn't stop the break. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. your house is still going to fall apart sometimes. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's so important to just know that like, there's going to be another episode and and you just have to continue to just, you know, connecting with what you've created with your safety and what you've created to help you get through it. Like, I mean, I know you can relate to it cause it's just, shit gets heavy, man. Like, yeah, man, it really I, does. I know. I, you know, I just for just transparency and because I'm just trying to talk about the subject more to flatten it a little bit as far as like the emotional edge, But like the last three weeks, I was in a really dark place, like suicidal ideation, you know, with my dad. I was just like, oh, like he did it. Like, what am I doing here? Like, these people don't even deserve me. Like, if I'm such a good person, like these people are trash. They treat each other like trash. They treat themselves. And what I'm so proud of, because it's exactly what you said, this feeling that I'm now articulating it's been with me my whole life, but now I'm like yeah. aware of it and able to articulate it. And it's, it terrifies people. They're like, wait, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, I'm actually always felt this way, but I'm talking about it now because that's part of my tool set is like, I'm giving it to you so we can all carry it together. Right. And I'll at least look at it objectively, yeah. but I'm really proud. Cause like when that, those feelings come up, I like get out of my house. I'm like, all right. I'm like, how do I, I text everybody in my support system. But five years ago, not only did I not know how to do that, I couldn't have done it because I hadn't built the right support Mm -hmm. system. So it's really, you know, I'm curious about the antidepressants. So offline, I'll chat you up about that, but I'm glad it's been working for you. I'm really glad Mm -hmm. to hear that. I think I lost you, Sean. Hmm? Can you hear me? Yeah. Are you there? Yeah, I lost you for, like, that cut out at the end. Okay. I was just saying, um, offline, I'll chat to you about the antidepressants because I'm glad they're here. They're beneficial. And I've been thinking about Mm -hmm. maybe some investigation myself there. We can definitely talk offline because I'm an advocate. So I would love to, like, talk more about that to you. And, like, I think, obviously, your story is so so heavy and just like the way you walk and carry it is just such a beautiful thing to witness and i'm i'm just grateful that you show up the way you show up because i couldn't imagine being in your shoes and i just think like you're doing such a beautiful job and it's just yeah it's just seriously it's it's like watching an angel i'm like this is Mm. just like somebody going through literal hell, walking through hell and meeting it with grace and understanding. And so many people don't do that. So many people take life and get hit hard with it and then run the opposite direction and then carry that same pain with them and then put it, put it wherever they want to put it. And like to be conscious of the things and the harm that comes your way to internalize them, to figure out if they fit or to figure out if you can do healing around them and then to release them. Like that's like breathing. That's like emotional Mm. breathing. Like you take it in and then you release it and like you to do it over and over again. And sometimes there are huge things that you have to take in. Like, it's just so 
hard and I can't imagine doing it on the scale that you're doing it. So I just want to thank you. And I think it's incredible the way you show up. Ah, thank you so much. And uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, I can see it most of the time for myself. It's just been this weird sort of reality break where I'm like, oh, I figured out generational trauma. Like I, I can articulate the definition of it more precisely than I've ever read it. Because I look at it like this. If we're, if children are sponges, because what I learned from seeing all the fathers on my men's team is that children can repeat what you say. So they do listen to what you say, but what they're really going to repeat is how you acted during certain things. So they're physically responding to you. So if my dad came home with PTSD, well, he's galvanized by the actions of PTSD. So it's not like I went to war, but I absorbed the actions, behaviors, and patterns of someone with severe enough PTSD to kill themselves. And so that's how I think general, generational trauma gets passed down, you know? And that was a really profound moment and helpful for me to kind of understand that. And also to understand, like, when my dad died, we found out there were three other suicides in my family that were swept under the rug. So I'm almost like the, we're, you, like, we're all cones for our family, right? Like, I'm the bottom tip. And so I'm carrying all of theirs, all of their unspoken and unmet needs, all of their wishes and hopes, all of their traumas, all of their depressions. And so, and so are you for yours. And so it's like, not only am I reckoning my individual self, but the group self. And that's been tough where I'm like, what is this? What is this? And I'm like, oh, that's probably grandma's shit. <laughs> You know, it's like this weird mm. thing where the brain is like, what? That doesn't even make sense, but it's true. How could it not be? Mm -hmm. it, of course. Yeah. And like, obviously we've known each other for years now and you introduced me to Melissa, who's my life coach and Suzanne as well. And I know that we both go to them and literally working with them and understanding what has been passed down onto us and working on that inner child healing, like those building blocks are the things that are going to keep us from continuing that pattern mm -hmm. and to just recognizing it and being able to walk through it better. And I'm so grateful you introduced me to Melissa and, and Suzanne, because it, it's been a life-changing experience to understand how to stop that ancestral trauma like you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. They saved my life. And I don't say that like lightly, like I'm doing the work, but man, oh man, we're so lucky. And kudos to you because not that I give away Suzanne's information like hotcakes, but I know a lot of people and everybody could use a therapist, but you're one of the few who is brave enough to seek her out after the information was passed. And, and now I think I have like six people and not one of them regrets it. They're all like, Dude, it's like similar vibes, right? Which I'm not yeah. like trying to manipulate that. Like, ooh, I, I got, I'm like, dude, good for you. Like, I'm so happy for you. And if you yeah. don't go see her, okay, it's not the time. All good. But I know right. she works for me and I know what I was carrying. So if she could start to shape that, then I'm sure she could shape mm -hmm. anything. 
I think like for you being a man and, and doing the work that you're doing, like it always, when I talk to women and they're doing it, I'm obviously so proud of them. And when I hear that a guy does it, I'm almost even more impressed in a way, not because not both of them are equally as beautiful. Everybody deserves to heal. But I think that the, the pressure put on men to be so masculine and okay and not needing to talk about their emotions. Like it's, it's currently in the process of getting destigmatized and you mm -hmm. are like leading that pack. You're introducing men to this. You say you're in a men's group and you're, you're pushing the envelope on that. Like, and it's just incredible to see. I'm like curious, what would you say to somebody who like what do you say to your to your guy friends to invite them into healing like <clears throat> it's a great question and a great assessment it's interesting for me like it, i can pretend i don't know what i look like or where i come from right to be like not humble isn't the right word but to be unaware but i know i look masculine and I know I'm from like gang ridden border town, military environment. So I'm like the antithesis of self-work for the male. And yet mm. here I am like fully drawn in. And what I've noticed with men, at least, because women, you're right. There is an easier way in to at least the conversation, generally speaking, of course, everybody's their own individual, but women got it down. Like the emotional intelligence game, like they do have a leg up and I've actually noticed <laughs> it's kind of a tangent, but because of the work I've done, it can challenge women's identity sometimes because they're not used to a man being like, yo, I'm right there with you emotionally. I got you. You know? And they're like, wait, I'm the one who's supposed it's to be good at this. Though. Yeah. No, I, no, I know. <laughs> and so it's, it's really brought nothing but uh, an amazing life. But the way I present it to other men is both through conversation, but the most, uh, like I talk about it. I talk about my work. I have a tattoo on my forearm that says mm -hmm. men don't cry with the don't crossed out. Like I put it there for a reason. Mm -hmm. So it's a billboard in my own way. Cause I think it's egotistical for me. This is my perspective only to try and change the world. Cause I think it's crazy. Like, I don't know what someone in Russia is going through or the Congo, but if I change me, then I change the world in a sense. Cause that does ripple out. And I heavily believe in that. And so what I found to be the most effective mm -hmm. is to be a living example of the work. And often it'll take time, I've noticed, because I'm still in it, right? So it's not like I've done this 20 years and I can be like, oh, the first three years, I kind of let, I'm like very much still a fish in the fish yeah. tank. But I've noticed that just by setting an example, guys will be like, in their own way, like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? Like, like mm -hmm. you know, like almost like, what's your workout plan kind of? You know, and then I'll start talking right, to them. Right. And because um, I've even seen it with friends from back home, because I feel like I'm a miracle. Like I had a guy call me from high school. I hadn't talked to him in 17 years. And he had the impetus, like the, the fire to call me and tell me, he's like, dude, Navy SEAL sons don't make it out. They don't. He's like, they're either dead wow. or in jail. And I was just like, I'm a fucking miracle. 
I'm a fucking miracle to be I here. Love that. Yeah, yeah, me too. And it's really stuck with me. I love me. that. I love huh. that. <laughs> yeah, it's I do beautiful. too. It's I, so beautiful. Oh, thank you, my friend. And so I think being an example and challenging and like also I can tell when someone there's two things happening too. I don't really put myself in like superficial situations for long. You know, sometimes you got to go to that meet and greet. Sometimes you got to go whatever to the premiere, but I don't really put myself around those people anymore in the sense that like if they're talking to me and you're not on this level and I don't mean I'm better. I'm just like this level of vibration and we're doing this kind of work then they're not necessarily interested in me either. So long answer, but right. usually the most effective is setting an example for me. It's beautiful. And and I think that that's so true because I can think back to the amount of times, like I would have, you know, ad advised on like getting life coaching just because of my experience and how I believe it's been so successful for me. And you know, a, a woman giving a man that advice, you know, they'll pick it up if they're ready to, but at the same time, seeing another man go through it and grow from it, it's always going to be a stronger example. So it's just amazing that you've been able to, like, how did you find Suzanne? I actually don't even know that. Oh, great question. So <clears throat> I was, I had seen a therapist maybe like four years earlier to the success I was able to have success at so it was like i got it she was good i got a good taste but i wasn't ready so i let finances be an excuse because i've gotten to the point where that's all almost always 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 the reason i hear from like the wealthiest people i know too it costs so much money and i go well how much are you worth how much are you worth because I'm worth more than 800 a month. I can tell you that for fuck sure. Right. Like, and I was mm -hmm. bartending when I started with Suzanne. So like, I'm always like, your excuse doesn't really hold water with me. You either want to do it or you don't yeah. and you'll find a way. But I was also victim of that. So I do get it. And this is how it occurred. I was sort of without knowing it, subconsciously like ready for the next it had been four years i was getting that point i noticed i was always like when i was in therapy meaning i was quoting like a four year ago event to make it present as if i'm still doing the work i really wasn't you know and uh, my friend jess mm -hmm. kemajuk who went to brick uh and she's from la and this all helps contextualize it for me because i was like She's from LA. That means she's seen it all. She's seen the wacky. She's seen the frauds. And if she's advocating for this person, then she must be great. And Suzanne was also entertainment focused and had all these like wonderful things. I like, she never, she's referral only. Like she doesn't advertise. And I'm like, Ooh, 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 that, that's, that, that, that pings for me, but it still took yeah. me maybe three or four months to reach out. And I noticed I was so ready to bail at every step, like parachute, like, Oh, she didn't respond in 24 hours. Like I don't like, you know, and just like <laughs> these little things. And 
that's how I got to where eventually it was through Jess Kamajek, and I make sure to thank her almost every time I see her because I don't mean that lightly. Suzanne saved my life. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I feel the same about you for introducing me to her. You know, I'm so eternally grateful and Mm. it's just been such a profound, like part of growth. And also she came in at the most, they, Melissa and Suzanne work together just for people who don't know. And and I've been primarily working with Melissa, but also see Suzanne in group once a month. So I work with both of them, but like, I, I remember the same thing, like wanted to, wanted to bail after every single time I would come home from a show, instead of reaching out and being like, okay, I'm ready to talk. I would be in my pain body and I would be in my bed. And I would, was so ashamed of my performance of not winning that I wouldn't even be able to reach out mm. because I would have, I was afraid of the judgment. And mm. I remember the breakup with Jordan and I was like, okay, I have to, she was reaching out to me. Melissa was just like, Hey, you know, like here, when you're ready, just wanted to check in. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. You know? And I, and I started talking to her and literally since then it's been every single opportunity that we schedule, I, I show up for as long as there's nothing that obviously comes up, but um, it's been just God incredible. And, and I understand what you mean by, I want to bail. But the thing about it is, is like every single time you show up, you always leave feeling better. <laughs> like, like the gym. I've never once left Yeah, I've never once left feeling worse, even if my attitude was like at a zero. I've at least left at like a 10. And Mm. so like, like if we're on a scale of zero to 100, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but yeah, so I'm, I'm so yeah, eternally grateful for you for introducing me to to them and for both of them as well. It's just been life changing. You're most welcome. Um, do you want to chat briefly about your ayahuasca experience since they go hand in hand? Or fuck yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. What What was your What was your experience? So I, you know, ayahuasca was absolutely beautiful and. God, you were saying something earlier and that was like my whole, it was like one of my big under, oh, generational trauma. Mm. Um, like I had, I mean, obviously <coughs> anybody who doesn't know what ayahuasca is, it's plant medicine and primarily used with indigenous cultures. So I flew down to Ecuador and I stayed with the Zapata community um, with a, a dream worker and shaman named Manati. And he is just absolutely incredible. And his community of people is just beautiful. And so we were able to go stay in their, in their community. And there was about 20 people there, three guys and like 17 girls. And I went with, brought two of my good friends with me. Yeah. And it was beautiful. And you know, before we got there, they do a bunch of cleansing to make sure that we're not bringing any negative energy with us and we're not bringing anything bad. For three days, you're pretty much cleansing, tobacco cleansing, water cleansing, um, breath work, meditations, like with a lot of downtime as well. So it was pretty much just like meet up, we're doing this cleansing and then like, you know, enjoy the space and like become one with this, feel home here. Because on the third night, that's when you experience, you get to meet Aya. Mm -hmm. And it was just like such an incredible experience. We fasted the whole day, went on a four hour trek through the rainforest. So we could really see like where she comes from, what it looks like, where they like, and, and then we got to like, you know, just really be there. And then we come back and they're like, all right, in an hour, we're going to start. And 
I just remember being like, oh my gosh, you know, three days have now led up to this point and now it's coming. Like, this is such a, you know, you've heard crazy things about what it's like to experience ayahuasca. So um, we take the medicine and we're all sitting in a circle in the same ceremony space that we were doing the breath work and every other ceremony prior. So we were very comfortable in the area we were doing it, which was beautiful. Mm. And I remember taking a sip and I was the second person to sip it. And, you know, they say it's going to kick in in about 45 minutes. So I'm just sitting there like my heart is pounding, pounding. I'm like, where am I going to go in 45 minutes? Was this a mistake? Oh my God. Like, this is so bad. I'm so scared. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then I caught myself and I'm like, I'm spiraling right now. This is not the way to go into this journey at all. And so I shut it down and I, I attribute my ability to do this through Melissa and Suzanne, but I started to literally talk to myself as if I was my own parent. Mm -hmm. I was like, Tori, I got your back. I love you. No matter what happens during this experience, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. And I just started rattling off affirmations and like self-love to the point where I was like, I didn't even know I had this many nice things to say about myself. Like mm. it was just like endless flow of words. And then so about 45 minutes goes by and the girl next to me starts to purge. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's coming, you know, like, so, and then all of a sudden two girls down from me, that woman starts to purge. And I was like, oh my gosh, it skipped me, you know, like, <laughs> yay, I made it through. Sure enough, I ended up being the last person to purge and it was the most violent purge of the group, but it was all part of the, <laughs> it was all part of the process. Like, it was beautiful. It started off incredibly beautiful. I got to witness so many beautiful visions that are almost dreamlike. And then I got to experience some really heavy things. And in those moments, because I was pretty familiar with holding space for myself and my inner child, I was able to get through that without panicking. And so I think like after it's all said and done, it's, it's a life-changing experience. I am very conscious of how I show up in the world now. I've not been sober ever since, but I've recently been on a sober journey and I attribute this place I'm in mentally to what I've been learning over the past six months post doing ayahuasca. So I've definitely elevated from the experience and I am, I'm just grateful. I know that you've done it too as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's uh yeah, it's an incredible experience and wow. Thank you for walking me through that. I was really there with you. <laughs> And you did it the one night? <laughs> Just one night, yeah. Cool, yeah. So, wow, that's so fucking cool. You were in Ecuador. You know, I think you know this, but for those who don't, one of the fascinating things to me about Aya is that, and I totally relate to your experience, I felt like I was about to get into a fight. And night, I did it two nights mm. back to back. And night one, she literally was like, I got you. And it was like a warm embrace mm -hmm. and a wild ride the whole first night. And night two was like heavy work. But the the shaman, our guy was telling us that it's two plants put together. Mm -hmm. Individually, they don't do anything. And there's over 50,000 identifiable plants in the rainforest. So he goes, no one knows how they found that to this day. Because <laughs> he lived so with the Shipibu uh, tribe for 15 years in Peru. And he's like, no one knows. It's in a sense, it's magic. But magic. and he told me the uh, the because I was asking him, I'm like, OK, is there any like, 
a British or Norwegian or African uh, similar, like, is there anything like ayahuasca there? And he was like, well, I, I'm not too studied there, but in Norway, they do these mushrooms that are so powerful, a human can't eat them. So they have to filter them through reindeer and the reindeer eat them. And then they pee and they drink mugs of the pee to trip, right? The, and the shaman wear little red hats with bells on the end. And the reindeer, because they're so high, leap. And that's why we have the myth of Santa Claus. Because oh. people were tripping their face off and saw jumping My reindeer. God. Isn't that wild? That's wild. <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing! Oh, I think I lost you a bit. There you are. Oh, can you, yeah, can you <clears throat> but isn't that crazy? It's wild. That's, yeah, that's wild. Oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah. You just wonder, like that, just makes me think how many things, how many myths today come from experiences like that. Yeah. How well, many? certainly religion. It seems they're finding more and more. I I don't know if you ever paid attention to this growing up, but like. In history class, they'd be like, in Egypt, they found the 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 pyramids and like 4,000 vases. And you're like, God mm. damn, they found so many fucking pots and vases. Like, And they almost seem to be useless, but now they're becoming really useful because they have the techno technology to scrape them. And they're finding out that almost all of them carry some sort of psilocybin wine in them. So it's like been around forever. And it all tracks with the creation of history and religion. And yeah, I could go down the rabbit hole on that one, but just for time's sake, we'll keep it. But it's definitely worth a look. Yeah. And the whole thing, there was a separation. If you think it was like the first church was like God was psilocybin. But then there was this mm. uh, fiscal imperative to control and it became separate. And then they just became the opposites like. Democrats and Republicans, in a sense. So now the church was clean, white, sober. It was just the opposite of what they referred to as paganism, which was psilocybin-induced religion. Yeah, super fascinating. All the stuff they've been taking away from us to heal ourselves. And something that really stood out for me, which I tell everybody who asks me, is... You had a process, sober process, meaning you were in therapy before you went and did Aya, because my, you know, amateur assessment is that if you go and do something like ayahuasca without a sober landing pad, it's not going to last. But because of your structure and discipline and, you know, your routine, you're integrating it over the course of months. Yes. But people can go and do yes. it and have an explosion. Well, fucking of course, because you're not doing any work in right. your regular life. But if you ever like right. for, for right. me, like for you to be able to hold yourself when ayahuasca in a way is like the closest to madness you can ever be too. It's unreal how mm -hmm. powerful it is. I when I tell you it put me in my father's body as a five-year-old watching him get hit by his dad and then i understood the chain of events that led me to where i'm at that's what happened that's how powerful she is and the fact that you were able to help yourself and integrate my tool was this i had my pointer finger and i would keep placing it on the ground and be like i'm right here i'm here 
because I was so here. Wow. Right. And I, the, if you, if you're really connected, you can still contact your soul. People don't realize when you're fucking wasted or, you know, you've been doing mushrooms, there's still a part of you that's dead sober right there the whole time. And that's your soul. That's your inner Mm. self. And Mm. I was able to really be with him. And I noticed the quiet. I noticed the quiet Mm. and how these things that are distractions are not labeled as distractions anymore because they're so day to day. And I was like, wow, even before I get up in the morning, I put like four distractions on and ayahuasca just stripped it so down where I was like, this is the quietest I've ever, ever been. So incredible that experience. It's so amazing and so amazing. And I love like what you said about like going to it, experiencing it, and then being able to implement it into your life later and appreciate it because you do definitely need to continue to do the work. It's an eye-opening experience and you'll see and understand things in a whole different way, but it's still, it's with time, it can still, it's always going to be powerful and memorable, but as time goes on, you still need to implement those things you learned and reflect. So yeah, I think it's just such a beautiful thing. And I, I definitely want to do it again, like when the time is right. Not right yeah. now, but when the yeah. time is right. Well, just so you know, my guy, and one of the reasons I love him is he's like a real guy. He's a French national. He's fifty in his 50s. He was addicted to heroin in France. He This is in the 80s. He moved to Colombia to escape it, start over. Well, he became addicted to cocaine. Wow. So then he moved to Peru to escape that, lived with the Shipibu for 15 years. He's this giant Frenchman, like five, six, five, six, six. So he lived with the tribe for 15 years as an outsider. Then he gets invited to the Americas to dance the rain dance with the Lakota. And that's one of the most revered uh, ceremonies in uh, Native American culture, as far as I'm aware of, is the rain dance. It's four days, four nights, no food, no water, no sleep. And they're chained by their chest or nipples to a cactus for four days. And they dance and then tear out. And he's like, the hardest part is the dance. The easy part's tearing out. So that put, tells you how tough it is. So not only does this guy sing you, because a big part of ayahuasca, people don't know, is you're being sung songs. And the songs unlock Mm -hmm. pieces of you. The songs, the vibration is the magic. We had guys on our team drink the potion, but our guys were, uh, the guide, the shaman was like, oh, he's not ready. So he kept him sober for two nights, but he drank the same thing I did. It was absolutely wild because the guy lived in his head his whole life. He was 50. He said if he shifted him to his Mm -hmm. body, he would have a, a psychotic break. So he kept him in his head just by the music. And so this guy was also obviously doing the Shipibu songs, but he was doing Lakota songs. So I'm hearing like the native songs of our land being sung. It was truly powerful. And I like him because wow. he's a real guy too. He's not, um, not that the tribes people aren't real, but the relatability on some level uh, goes away and uh yeah so ayahuasca we'll move right, on just right, for right, time's right, right. sake 
because I do want to talk about one of my favorite pieces of art you've done, which is the adventures of Bumblebee and Koala Pear. So, I mean, I was looking, you have an insane amount of reviews. Like, I remember when you read it to me up in, uh, when we were shooting the stocking fields, we're in the living room of that Airbnb, which also, dude, you fucking, I tell this to everybody who will listen, but we couldn't have made the stocking fields without you. You were fucking awesome. You were a G and you totally earned every minute of that producer credit because you're a motherfucking savage. But, uh, oh my God, I had a blast doing that. You were killer, dude. And, uh, I mean, it it got tricky sometimes, but, but it was so lovely to like work under you guys and see you in your craft. Like I was witnessing you guys make magic and I was just like, wow, this is what it takes to make an independent film. This is crazy. So I can say this, like, obviously you guys saw my book before I ever put it out into the world. I think I read it to you when it was like just screens on a computer. Yeah, you um, did. Just like, you know, I think on you computer, literally like, did it from I, your head. I think yeah, you like had yeah. it memorized and I was just so like, I remember being like, oh, like Tori's an artist. Like that was the thought that went in my head. I was like, this is really good. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. And that, you know, it's beautiful that um, like this stems back to the rap, right? Like I would have never, so like it's the same skill and it's come through in different ways. And like, if I would have let what happened to me in, in the rap, you know, attempt at being a rapper deflate me from ever trying again, I would have been able to produce the search for syrup or create the online poetry community I'm creating right now. So I'm really thankful that I've come back to like what I'd like to think is my home in art. Mm. And that's just simple poetry. And sometimes it's playful and it's childish, which is where you get Bumblebee and Koala Pear from. And sometimes it's really deep and heavy. And that's kind of my more soul spill lane, which I have an Instagram for and I'm dropping a poetry book in the future. So I'm just going to continue to explore all of these avenues of myself. And like one thing that I would love to say to any artist who maybe is like thinking or considering what their craft actually is, like go home to the root of what it is you're trying to express and figure out what way you want to express it because you don't know what container the world wants to accept it in. And I'm not saying you need to make your art for people to accept it, but if that's one of your, your messages, you want people to be able to connect with you. Sometimes you do have to find that Mm. container to put it in so that it makes sense for everybody so that you have the, the euphoric experience of feeling honored or, you know, just, just accepted by anybody who wants to read it as well as the people to who do read it. And so that's one thing that I really would love to leave people with is don't let criticism in one area, stop you from evolving and figuring out where you belong. Don't. Dude, that's like a superpower of yours. Cause you could have said, no, you could have quit. You could have not even mentioned a number of your projects. So when you're talking about community building, And I've seen you do this a few times. Like, obviously, you have an an immense social media following. It's so impressive the way you run your company. Thank you. Do you have, you're welcome. Do you have a way about creating community? Like, you're like, this seems to be working. Or is it like, hey, guys, I'm just putting this out there. What do you think? And you build from there. You know, when you're thinking about community Mm -hmm. building, how does that strike you? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, right. I do run a number of different Instagram accounts. Um, some aren't so big as the others, you know, like I have Miso's page, which is 20,000 followers. <laughs> so oh. I have a cat page, which I just do for fun. Um, I obviously have my kids book page and I have my poetry page. And then I used to work more on the Sweetheart Club page, which was really just a platform of community, a community where people could come and pretty much chat about mental health. So I would say that I am in a, I haven't done it from the ground up, which I would, I, in that sense, it's been a luxury for me because I get to bleed my personality, which is something people already connect with through other channels. Mm. So in that sense, I've, I've been able to just move the followers and, and allow doors to open. Um, but also just knowing that like every single version of me has a different essence about it. The kids book has its own style, its own color scheme, its own fonts. It has its own world, right? And so I keep things very true to that world. The soul spill has its own style, its own fonts. There are things, it's very similar. Like I just I keep things very separate. Um, and so I give them, I give them their own structure and that's been really helpful when creating uh, mm. the worlds that I guess I've created and I'm continuing to do that and also calling in people to help design those worlds because yes, I, I might have a vision in my mind, but maybe I'm not the person to actually put it all together. So outsourcing has also been super helpful uh, in terms of coming up with color schemes or, you know, just getting somebody to be a, a board to bounce back ideas with. So, yeah, you know, it's fun to collaborate, with a good team, right? create, collaborating is my favorite thing to do. Yeah. It's like, the best. I love, I love working with people on projects on projects that I do myself. I struggle way more. And it's mm. so interesting. Actually. I like to talk about this too, for a moment. Yeah. Like, I think what happens is when you feel like you've created an idea, you feel ownership of that. And then once money becomes the conversation or splits and cuts, the whole thing gets a little sticky and weird because mm -hmm. you're like, well, it's my idea. Like <laughs> I want to, I want to get the lion's share and like, but that really dilutes the ability to collaborate and, and, and rise it to the top. And what I've gotten more comfortable with over time is like, maybe I wrote the, the words, but if you're drawing the pictures, it's 50, 50, it's mm. straight split. And even if I'm creating even if I have the platform for the exposure, but you, but you're now bringing in some of the background, more, uh, just accounting tasks into the mm -hmm. picture, we are 50, 50. And so collaborating on a 50, 50 level for me is the way I kind of look to move forward because even though I might bring more in one area, I promise you, I've learned that what the other people bring is just as valuable, even if what I bring is shinier. So I've had to release a lot of my ego around my ownership of my art if I'm working with somebody and that's really helped me to come back to the place I am now, because I put out the search for syrup like a couple years ago now, and I'm mm -hmm. just now finally able to get back into that. I have another book thoughts that fought are that are <laughs> that's coming out. It's currently being worked on. And then I have another uh, book, the soul spill. So it's like, I'm finally now back in it. I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. I see it. I had to take that break. I had to check my ego a little bit. I now remember, even though I am, offering up a platform, everybody else on the table who's sitting at the table with me is just as valuable because I don't want to do it alone. I don't, the ship's not going to float. No. It's just not. <laughs> oh, oh my God. That's so wise. 
And, you know, it, it, it hits on something I've been saying for a long time and I personally feel, and then we'll let you get out of here, but it's that you're not clinging to the idea that you have one idea, right? So as soon as I tell people that I'm like, dude, like this is one of a thousand artistic ideas I have. Sorry. Like that's just the truth. I have a lot of ideas, so I'm not going to get hung up on like who's who and what's I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Come on. Like that's the fun, right? Like I don't want to be on set by myself. I want to look around and be laughing over here and joking over here and get serious here. Like, yeah, it takes a village and I have had my own ego in that. And I've definitely had partners who are like weirdly the opposite where they don't want to give an inch there. And I'm like, don't you see it makes it harder at every step of the way. And you're also basically saying like, I'm not open to better ideas. Like that is my motto. Give me a better idea, please. And when people compliment me, Mm -hmm. if you really like really take a look at the collaborative process, I was only able to chip in that idea because of your idea. And so we're now building ideas. So if you think I had a good one, I'm just riding the coattails of your awesome uh, suggestion. So, and it's also just better leadership in general, but my friend, I'm going to let you go here. I could talk to you all day, but before I do, I just want to say, I fucking love you. You're an amazing person. Truly. I mean, obviously you're an incredibly accomplished artist, but what's more important is just your big old heart. And I love you. And I hope to see you soon. I'm going to stop the record. Then we can just chat for a second. But I just wanted to thank you again and tell you I love you. Oh, Sean, thank you for having me. I love you so much. And dude, we got a link. We have to. It's been too long. Absolutely. I'm going to stop it here. All right.